uh, I'd like to say just really a very warm welcome to all of you. Um, some introductions for those of you who don't know us. Um, I'm Christina Narayan, this is Madeline, and that empty cushion there is Eowyn, who will be leading the mindful movement during the retreat. This is the 33rd year of this retreat. So, you know, since this has been a really big part of my life, it's been an annual visit. And, you know, I think it's been a big part of many of your lives. Um, I just want to acknowledge that. And I also am aware that for some of you, uh, you're new to this retreat, possibly not, you know, many of you not new to IMS, but some of you, yes, but some of you new to this retreat, and just really hope that you feel very, very welcome, each and every one of you. And, you know, have a sense of how much we invite you to, to step into what has over these, these decades, in a sense, become something of a tradition, you know, something of a, a women's community, a women's sangha here at IMS, which you're now part of, and you leave your own footprint here for those who come after you. I'm sensitive to the fact that each one of us here truly has our own story, our own history, that is our own life of experience, which is really unique to each of you, to us. And no one has ever, could ever live that life in exactly the same way. And I also have a sense as we come into this retreat that we are women, you know, and we also have a, a woman's story. Um, we live within a woman's body. We see the world through the eyes of being a woman. In the early years of this retreat, you know, sometimes people ask us, well, you know, what do you do differently on a women's retreat? And usually I'd say not much, actually. Um, but in a way we do, in a way we do. Uh, you know, when I think back to the early years of this retreat, 33, 33 years ago, this was a time of a lot of changes in our society. Much was really shifting around how women were viewed and how women viewed themselves. And it wasn't always a lot of easy change. You know, there wasn't always a sort of consistent level of applause and approval around that. In fact, as many of you know who lived in those years, this was, you know, something of an uphill task at times. Um, and in those early years of this retreat, you know, we talked a lot more. Uh, you know, we talked a lot more around what it meant and how to make those changes. We talked a lot more about power and equality and justice and authority and authenticity. And I would hardly want to say that all of these issues have been resolved, by the way. Um, I would certainly 
be far from wanting to suggest that. But I notice over the years how this retreat has become quieter, I think, as, as many of you have deepened in your own journeys, deepened in your own explorations, that somehow this retreat has become quieter. It has become, in a sense, more concerned in a slightly different way. I think so much recognizing how much our own inner transformation is the starting point for all transformation. And then this, this is a serious undertaking. You know, it's a serious undertaking to, to really know actually what it means to be able to, to be with ourselves in a peaceful, in a caring, in a loving way, you know, for seven minutes at a time, never mind seven days at a time. So the, the focus of the re, this retreat has changed, and, I, and yet I think what has really developed here for me over the years, and I hope this is, you can sense this, is how much this retreat is actually a place of refuge and actually a place of safety. And, you know, I would really encourage you to, you know, take a moment just to look around you just to look at the women on either side of you, behind you, in front of you, you know. We're, not, we're here alone, but we're also so much here together. And there, there is truly something about acknowledging this, you know, quite, quite consciously. Because in some strange way, this is your family for a week. And it's kind of like all families, you know, not perfect. And, you know, there's people you like in your family. There's people that you argue with in your family, you know. There's people that you want to be close to in your family. And there's people that you'd like to run from in your family. And yet there's something about coming here where there is this actually the commitment to being alone and actually to being together knowing that none of us actually makes this journey all on our own. We, we need our friends, we need our family, we need our allies, and many of these we, we make here. And, you know, some of you have done retreats before where you've heard instructions around not making eye contact, about keeping your eyes down. You won't hear us give those instructions. Because, you know, my own feeling is that, you know, we are mature human beings and part of our exploration is actually really being so sensitive to how we use our, all of our sense doors, including our eyes, you know. There may be times when, you know, you find that you're using your eyes because of some sort of sense of wanting acknowledgement or, or, or you know, someone to, to kind of say you're okay, uh, that might be a time when actually, or out of restlessness or agitation, and that might be a time when it's actually helpful to be a little bit more guarded, a little bit more restrained and focused around how we use our sense doors. But I actually feel, you know, we are, we are here as a community, and I don't feel actually we're in danger through making eye contact of somehow losing the plot. You know, in fact, you know, uh, I think, you know, a, a sense of kindness and a sense of care and a sense of recognition is, is you know, part of being together as a community and part of being together as women and part of a way that we actually embody 
kindness and compassion and care. And it doesn't put you at risk, believe me, of somehow, you know, you're going to lead to some great clinging moment. You know, it's okay. It's actually, believe it or not, okay to smile. You know, this is actually all right. It doesn't mean you have to smile. And please, if somebody does it, if you smile at somebody and they don't smile back, please don't feel, you know, entirely abandoned and rejected, you know. But, you know, it, it is actually, you know, I think to develop a certain easefulness in being here. Not too much of over-earnestness. You know, we can suffer badly from over-earnestness on retreat, you know. A, a little bit of, of, you know, how to be committed in this space. And yet how to hold it lightly and how to hold it caringly and lovingly. And that recognizing that kindness is something that, that we embody in so many ways, just that we can embody so many other things. So just that enc- encouragement just to, to have that sensitivity around being alone and being alone together. Being alone together. I think often about what a retreat is. You know, for this very short time, we, we step out of the familiarity of our lives, out of our responsibilities, which are many, our busyness, our habits, our, our interactions, and we step into something. And we step into the world of uh, the life of our body, the life of our minds, the life of our hearts, a territory often which is also familiar to us, sometimes all too familiar. Um, But we're learning to see this with new eyes. We're learning to see ourselves with new eyes. We're, We're learning our capacity to walk pathways of freedom, pathways of understanding, I want to read you something from a Greek philosopher which I came across recently, which I truly love. It says, The beauty and mystery of this world only emerges through affection, attention, interest, and compassion. See this world by attending to its colors, its details, and above all, its irony. I almost think that could be the kind of motto of our retreat, you know? To actually see this world, the beauty and mystery of this world, how it emerges through the affection and the attention, the interest and the compassion we bring to our seeing. See this world by attending to its colors, its details, and above all, its irony. The Buddha did justice what what we are doing here. In many ways, the Buddha was a contemplative. He so deeply valued uh, being at ease in solitude. He so deeply valued uh, deepening our capacities for um, inner cultivation, for awareness. But we also have to recognize the Buddha was a social activist. The Buddha was as much concerned with social justice as he was concerned with a rich inner life. And he did not see these two things as being disconnected, hierarchical, or separate. You know, if you read the text, the early text, you see the Buddha so much encouraged those who are with him, you know, to go and find their seat at the, at the roots of a tree or in an empty hut, 
and to contemplate life as it is. And he asked people to, to go out and engage with the world. It was compassion, was changing that, which was unacceptable with that which caused harm. And I think this is, is such an important relationship to recognize that there's a Buddha so clearly recognized that how our speech and our actions and our intentions can arise from so many different places, from places of aversion and fear and from places of great clarity and balance and kindness and commitment. And we remember this here. We remember that we practice out of concern for the well-being of all beings. Here we, we engage in this for the caring for the well-being of our own hearts and minds, but also for those we love, those we struggle with, and the many beings we don't know. The Buddha never pointed the direction of this path into, as towards a more insular, isolated existence, but towards a truly engaged, connective, aware participation in the world that we are part of. A retreat is, is a refuge. You know, in many ways, when the, in the most difficult times of our life, we dream of a place like this. You know, I know for me, coming here, it's, it's like a rest. You know? I don't have to shop. I don't have to cook. I don't have to clean. I, I, there are so many things I don't need to do when I'm here. And that's kind of like, ha. Ah, this wonderful appreciation and this wonderful outpress. I don't have to sort of, you know, well, actually, I do have to care for people. <laughs> but I don't have to care for the people I usually care for in my life. I have to care for different people. So I hope it doesn't mean it's an end of caring. But, but it's an end of this, this kind of, you know, this sense, any sense of, 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 of responsibility. And I think of the loveliness of that, you know. And I think of that Zen koan when it says, you know, when your mind is not clouded by unnecessary things, this is the best season of your life. When your mind is not clouded by unnecessary things, this is the best season of your life. Certainly doesn't mean that everything's perfect. You know? But I do think there's a way of beginning a retreat when we actually really a little bit look at what are the unnecessary things that maybe we can lay down a little, you know, that we can put down. A, and when you actually look at the activities of your mind on a daily basis, isn't there a lot that's unnecessary? <laughs> you know, the obsessions and the repetitions and the fantasies, you know, and the, the preoccupations and the, the rehearsals and the strategies. The, you know, just imagine what your mind would look like without unnecessary things. There's a lot of spaciousness there, a lot of room. And then there's a lot of room for that which is lovely and creative and alive and caring really to emerge. So, you know, sometimes I think there's a, a way of really making that intention in the beginning of how in this refuge we put down the unnecessary things. And this is actually a training for our life. A training for how we might embody stillness. A training for how we might embody calm. A training for how we might embody compassion. You know, we talk a lot about practice. You know, people talk to me a lot about practice anyway. And, you know, I, I find it curious. I find it interesting how we think about practice. 
You know, because usually when people talk to me about practice, they, they're talking about what happens on the cushion and, you know, and what happens on their walking path. And it's true here, you know, we actually do a lot of practice. But, you know, in, in the early traditions, this word doesn't exist. Actually, the word meditation doesn't exist. What does exist is the word bhavana, which we translate as meditation. But actually, it means to cultivate and to bring into being. So as we engage here in this practice, as we call it, what we're actually engaging in is a, is a pathway of cultivation. And what we're cultivating is that which is liberating, that which is healing, that which is clearing, that which is balancing, that which is calming, all of the qualities which actually lie as seeds of potentiality within each one of us. The, you know, the Buddha didn't talk about practice, he talked about path. Talked about being on a path. Actually talked about entering a stream. Entering a stream. This is something much bigger than just what happens on our cushion or in our walking path. And I, I really would like to encourage you to, to engage in maybe that kind of perspective. That here we're entering a stream and we're, in, we're, we're walking a path. And a path has a beginning. All of our paths had a beginning. You know, sometimes in pain, sometimes in confusion, sometimes in, in bewilderment. And the path has a direction. And, and its direction is, is, as was put in the early teachings, is really an unshakable liberation of the heart. And this is the path that we're engaged in. And path, practice is part of that. But I would really so encourage you to expand that vision that practice, in a path, everything matters. Everything matters. It's not just about, you know, what happens on a cushion or a formal walking path. It's like the details matter. What happens outside of those times, how we engage with the world outside of retreat, it means how we engage with our speech and our actions and our care. Here it means how we engage with all those times when, that you know, don't actually feature in the schedule. And I have to mention there's not many, many of them. <laughs> there's only a few in a day. You know? But really being aware that this, this is about how, you know, what do we practice? We actually practice our understandings. You know, we practice everything we understand about what, what leads to distress and what leads to the end of distress. You know, we practice our understandings of impermanence and change. You know, we practice our understandings of not knowing. This is our invitation. It's not just that we practice watching the breath we actually, or the body. We actually practice our understanding. Insight is something that is practiced. And we cultivate, we cultivate our sense of capacity, our sense of responsiveness, our sense of participation and how we can, how the beauty and mystery can emerge through the interest and the affection and, and the attention and the compassion that we bring to every moment. We have a structure of this retreat. You know, it's not one that we invented. It's very, in a way, it goes right back 2,600 years. People have been doing just what we're doing. Really un uh, turning our attention towards this life. 
you know, it's it, the the teachings of of the Satipatthana Sutta of establishing awareness in our life and in the moment are so pertinent today as they were 2,600 years ago because this is where we live in the life of our body, in the life of our hearts, in the life of our minds. And this is what we're asked to actually bring into that light of intention and affection and curiosity with an attitude, an attitude of care, an attitude of kindness. And this is so interwoven with awareness Without that kindness and curiosity, it's probably not mindfulness or awareness at all. It's probably the cold glare of attention. So this is what we are cultivating. This is what we're bringing into being. And I really, truly welcome you into this retreat. And uh, we will see you over the days here um, quite frequently. Um, We will speak with you. You will speak with us over the days here. And I really am appreciating having this chance to have this week with you. Thank you. that didn't hurt anyone's ears in the back. I want to um, begin by evoking Avalokiteshvara, who is the personification of compassion. Many of you know, if you walk right back out there, there's this beautiful, ancient, um, I don't know how old it is, statue of um, Kuan Yin or Avalokiteshvara with this sense of grace and dignity and... um, sensitivity and responsiveness. And, you know, the posture of Avalokiteshvara is ready to move, ready to move into wise action, compassionate action. So I just thought I would begin by evoking this aspect of ourselves within our hearts. We evoke your name, Avalokiteshvara. We aspire to learn your way of listening in order to help relieve the suffering in the world. You know how to listen in order to understand. We evoke your name in order to practice listening with all our attention and open-heartedness. We will sit and listen without any prejudice. We will sit and listen without judging or reacting. We will sit and listen in order to understand. We will sit and listen so attentively that we will be able to hear what is being said and also what has been left unsaid. We know that just by listening deeply, we already alleviate a great deal of pain and suffering. I very much want to welcome everyone here and to begin by saying that The guiding teachers here, Christina and I, are two of nine guiding teachers of IMS, as well as the board, as as well as the staff here, have been engaged in efforts towards inclusivity and diversity. And we are in the process of learning. We really want IMS to be safe and welcoming for everyone, whatever 
race or ethnicity, whatever sexual orientation or age or physical ability, whatever political persuasion one might be, everyone is welcome. And so I just hope that you do feel comfortable and and welcome here because we really want you to be here. This particular retreat, um, people have sat this retreat over and over again. It's almost like a yearly pilgrimage for, for many of you here. And there are a number of really new people here too. New women, new to practice, new to IMS, um, very experienced with practice, but new to the women's retreat. And so we just make space in our hearts for all of us to coexist with grace and with harmony and with love and with understanding. We are learning, and so if we do or if we say things that don't feel aligned to you, we do want to know. You can come to any of us and, and let us know. Just to say that really everyone here is wanted. It's easy to feel like the outsider, you know, and so um, just kind of, kind of expanding the circle and recognizing that you're not. I am so um, happy for all of you. Some of you know that retreats are not always easy. It's not a piece of cake to sit and to be silent and to not have the usual kinds of distractions and to look into one's own heart and take responsibility for oneself. It's not easy, but it is a tried and true form. It is a remarkable form. It is a fruitful form. And so I feel a lot of Um, happiness and delight for you that you have this week. I know that it's it's hard to get a week. Oftentimes it's not easy to get a week and to do what one needs to do to get here. There's a lot that has to happen. It's almost like the retreat before the retreat, right? (laughs) So it's not an easy thing to pull off and yet here we all are. We've made it. We're here. And so the appreciation of this kind of a pause, I think appreciating that we don't have the usual kinds of lists that we're used to going through. And then, you know, we finish one list and then there's another list and then there's another list. And it's a little bit sometimes disconcerting on a retreat to, you know, recognize we are list lists. We are without lists here. But I, I really want to encourage you to appreciate that fact of being without a list and kind of um, the recognition that you do not have to make the usual kinds of choices that we usually have to make in our life. It's one of the graces of a retreat that we don't have to choose. We're kind of moved around by the bell and by the, the structure and by the schedule and all of that, but we don't we don't have to use our brains in that way. We can look more deeply into the nature of this body-mind experience. And we can look into the nature of this body-mind experience with great compassion and with great care, evoking Avalokiteshvara within our own hearts. This is such a beautiful environment. And Christina was talking about taking the out-breath This has been a really hard time for many of us in this world. This time period has been really hard. 
And it's not as if the personal takes a break just because things seem to be really hard in the world, right? You know, the personal losses and adjustments and difficulties and angst and anguish and heartbreak and all of that continues on. You know, that's just the way it is. A lot can happen in a year. You know, some of you I only see once a year. A lot can happen in a year. So just the acknowledgement of this, that we are in a particular time period and we come into this retreat. I remember I taught in December and in the beginning people came in and so fatigued, you know, so tired, so um, so um, kind of lost in a way and agitated. And then at the end of the retreat, it was like it was a reset, you know, there was a kind of a reset button. It was hard work. It wasn't just easy to do. But um, the fruits of it were really quite remarkable in terms of the capacity to not just take an in-breath, but take an out-breath. Not just embrace, but also to release and to let be, to let go. You know, to understand more deeply what we're doing here on this earth as women, as human beings, as being, as being, beings being together with one another. So it's somewhat of a process of maybe um, rigorous relaxation or relaxed rigor, whichever way you want to look at it. (laughs) And that's kind of the, um, you know, the, the discipline of this whole thing, the training aspect of this whole thing. But just feel yourself supported. You know, feel feel yourself supported by yourself and feel yourself supported by one another. That this is the process that we're all undergoing together. Being here together, there are certain guidelines that we all abide by because it works. A lot of the kinks have been worked out over the last 2,600 years. (laughs) And it really works if we agree to different ways of living together over these next seven days. So I wanted to just go through the five guidelines with you. And I'm using a little bit of um, a Thich Nhat Hanh, a Thai approach to this. It's a little bit different, but basically Thai's approach, Thich Nhat Hanh's approach. So the first one, and, it, and if as I say them, we won't take them formally, but if, I, if as I say them, you can just let them enter and settle, and if you can really feel them in your body. They're wonderful, um, delightful aspects of not having to worry so much, you know, being a certain level of being at peace with ourselves and in harmony with one another. So the first one is knowing how deeply our lives intertwine. You know, we practice these guidelines because of how connected we are. Knowing how deeply our lives intertwine, I undertake the commitment to protect all forms of life and to practice compassionate action. Just let it sink in. I'm sure all of us already have this aspiration, but we're looking at this in a fresh way, a new way. And we're letting these, these ways, beautiful ways of living sink into our bodies and our hearts. Knowing how deeply our lives intertwine, I undertake the commitment to only take what is offered to me 
and to practice generosity. Different options on retreat to practice generosity. Knowing how deeply our lives intertwine, I undertake the commitment to protect relationships and to be celibate during this retreat. And the reason for this, of course, nothing, you know, sexuality being such a beautiful energy in this life, such a, such a pleasure. And on a retreat, we want to be in solitude within ourselves, so not reach out in that kind of a way. Knowing how deeply our lives intertwine, I undertake the commitment to sustain noble silence, and when I do need to speak, to speak the truth with kindness. So letting this kind of infuse your body, infuse your heart. So at this point, I, I need to pause and talk about cell phones. <laughs> because this precept around noble silence um, we have to really live it. It's sometimes the hardest one on a retreat to, um, to practice. So one aspect, before I get to cell phones, of sustaining noble silence has to do with listening instead of talking to yourself. It's really loud in there if the retreat is spent talking to oneself. Yeah. It will be a really quiet retreat, actually, no matter who talks to you if you don't talk to yourself. So I would encourage you, this is not really a precept precept, but it's really a wise idea. So I would encourage you in that direction. But to move to this discussion about cell phones, just to say a few things about it, I actually want to ask everyone to take a sacred vow. I know it sounds strong. We try to talk about this in a number of different ways because Um, You know, when Christina and I and some of you in this room started practice and practiced for many years, cell phones didn't even exist, of course. So um, it wasn't an issue in any way. And now I think more and more on retreats, it's one of the best things about being on a retreat is being cut off from technology. It's almost like that's all you did was be cut off from technology. You'd really have a great retreat. So, a sacred vow, meaning that whatever happens, you're going to keep your cell phone turned off and hopefully, you know, elsewhere. We're going to have a ritual tomorrow morning, so I want to encourage you to bring your cell phone to the first sitting, if you so choose, and we'll have a bit of a ritual in terms of having a basket here so you can leave your cell phone here because you don't need to even take this sacred vow if you put your phone in the basket. (laughs) It's really a way out of the whole thing if you just put your your cell phone in the basket. You know, I sat a retreat in Taiwan a a number of years ago when I wasn't allowed to sit the retreat without handing in my cell phone. So everybody handed in their cell phone. And um, I said, you know, my cell phone doesn't even work here. It doesn't matter. I don't think I could have even done the retreat if I didn't have a cell phone to hand in, (laughs) even though it didn't work. So we don't have that approach here. We really have a, a grown-up approach here. But, um, but to do what is best for you, because what can so often happen is that everybody tonight 
you know, will turn their cell phone off. I, I really trust you. I know that you'll do that. But then, as the retreat goes on, there's a moment of boredom. Horrors, you know? <laughs> there's a moment of restlessness, of agitation, of doubt, of, you know, the hindrances, the obstacles within our hearts um, seemingly attacking us. And then so, so tempting so seductive because of course you know the same studies I do about how cell phones can be so addictive you know that they actually change the brain in some way so really important to renounce what we're talking about with renunciation is not renunciation meaning deprivation but renunciation of suffering renunciation of suffering this is a hard time in terms I've, I've been so aware in Cambridge, Cambridge Insight Meditation Center, of this addiction to the news. And um, give yourself a break for this week. You know, the news is not going to help you in any way whatsoever. There's, there's not one way that it's going to be beneficial to you or to others in your life or anything like that or to you, certainly to your practice. So I want to, um, to really be quite, quite clear about this. It's, of course, if you have vulnerable people at home, loved ones, family, friends, and you need to stay in contact because of caring for those people in your life, you can arrange it with the office. So please be really aware of that to arrange it with the office. Sometimes people make arrangements with loved ones at home to communicate why they're here. You know, it's kind of, I have a talk that doesn't actually have a talk yet to it, but it's a great title, The Secret Life of the Yogi. So, if you did make an arrangement with someone to just keep in a little bit of contact, at the end, and some of you are looking at me like you know what I'm talking about, at the, at the end tonight of when you go out, if you want to take a few moments and, you know, text that person, don't, don't call, because to get into the conversations is not a good time, thing to do, but to text that person and let them know that you're really going to be okay for the whole week, and, and they will too and that um, you know, this is a, a week of silence. So I want to very much encourage you to do that. So the last one is knowing how deeply our lives intertwine. I undertake the commitment not to harm myself or others with alcohol and drugs and to care for my body and for my mind. So of course this does not mean prescribed medications. But um, anything unprescribed, obviously, we want to put down, we want to let go of. So I'm happy for you, and I'm happy for myself. I'm happy for myself um, spending the week here in this way because I get to sit a little bit more than I usually get to sit, and I really love to sit. And I am really happy for myself because I have the privilege of working with you throughout this this week, and hopefully doing my best to be of as much benefit to you as is possible. So thank you so much for being here. Well, good evening. I also want to um, give a very warm welcome to everyone. And I can't really see you all, but I do mean everyone. 
<clears throat> you know, every time I come to IMS for the women's retreat, there arises within my heart this sort of um, feelings of appreciation and happiness and gratitude. It is so wonderful to be here with all of you. And so much delight in being with all of you. And of course, being with Christina and Narayan as well. The Buddha considered gratitude and counting one's blessings to be important. The Buddha considered the greatest blessings to include places where we can practice and discuss the Dharma. Even greater blessings are to live the Dharma, to understand truth for ourselves, and to realize the end of suffering. Just like Narayan was saying, we are in a great environment in which to practice. In practice, we are recognizing and opening to that inner environment with all its changing sensations and feelings, moods, thoughts, emotions, experiences. And so we turn our attention inward. And we bring our attention and intention to the present moment, to the here and now, and our understanding of ourselves and our lives grow. So just coming onto retreat and throughout this time together, we have together, we really have the opportunity to begin to simplify our lives, to practice a bit of renunciation, to slow down, to let go. We have the chance to practice deeply in a more continuous way, to open and to learn. So really as this treat begins, it's really helpful to see if you can actually begin to recollect your reasons as to why you came here. We're all taking time away. Maybe for some of us it's we're taking time away from school or from jobs, perhaps politics, responsibilities as a student or a mother, a daughter, a partner, a spouse, a friend, and my favorite, a pet caretaker, and so on. You get my drift. So it can be helpful, really helpful, to turn the attention inward and connect and open to your aspirations, intentions, and motivations. So we're going to take a moment to do that right now. And I ask you to really listen deeply and to ask yourselves to listen carefully and see what arises. Even if you've done this before, it's a new moment right now. So, are you ready? Going inward, asking yourself and listening, what is my motivation to come on this retreat? 
What is my aspiration in life? What is my intention right now? So let's begin this retreat together by living the Dharma just one moment right now of being fully present, fully here. This practice is truly about being here just one moment at a time, present, really with that open-heartedness, with whatever's occurring, and really knowing that in a direct way from our own experience. So this week, practicing, like Christina was saying, with a kind and patient and gentle attitude towards ourselves with whatever is happening in the moment. Gentleness in our practice and in our life, it really helps to awaken the heart. It's really like remembering something this compassion, this clarity, this openness. They're like something we have forgotten. Pema Chodron says that sitting here, being gentle with ourselves, we're rediscovering something, like a mother reuniting with a lost child. So sitting here, just being gentle with ourselves, we are rediscovering a way to reunite with our hearts. We are blessed each moment we are awake, we are aware, we're mindful. Whenever the heart and mind is open, receptive, whenever it's touched by all the changes, by all the uncertainties of the world, It's the 10,000 joys and 10,000 sorrows, although I like to call it the 100,000 joys and the 100,000 sorrows. There's great happiness on this path. And gratitude, it allows us to meet life with an open heart. So this week, each of us can learn or maybe remember how to be present to cultivate and to nurture an inner quiet and inner stillness, to listen, to be receptive, and to let life unfold and reveal itself to us. In this way, we can understand our lives more fully. I've read that the Thai meditation master Ajahn Chah said, everything occurs in your heart. In practice, with mindfulness, we let our heart hold whatever arises within itself. How do you do that? Keep it simple. (laughs) Stick to the present moment. 
So wishing all the greatest of blessings to live the Dharma, (laughs) to understand truth for ourselves, and to realize the end of suffering. May it be so. So we're going to just have a very short sitting, but we're also aware that you've been sitting for a little bit. So um, please take a stretch and um, always err on the side of stretching if you're given a chance. Meditation context. the arms over the shoulders for a moment and elbows straight. Let your shoulders come down. Okay. Okay. So, I'm just sitting. Finding a posture that works for your body. Everybody's got a different body. Straightening the spine. Relaxing the eyes, relaxing the face. Aware of the in-breath, aware of the exhale, aware of the out-breath. Aware of just sitting here. Not having to be anyone in particular. Not having to compare or compete. not having to get anything done. The beauty of being. Aware of just sitting, aware of just breathing. Aware of sensing, aware of listening. Not attempting to attain, but instead to realize how things actually are.
beings live in harmony within themselves. May all beings live in harmony with one another. May all beings live in compassion and connectedness. the sound of the bell from its beginning to its end. Okay. So, noble silence begins. Please, um, just a reminder about bringing your cell phone in the morning. We'll have a basket up front and labels so that you can label it and all of that. And they have it together in the office in terms of caretaking. Um, So to make your way to bed, um, beginning with the practice right now, just, you know, as Madeline was talking about, just staying as present as you can, even though you have a mission, even though you're, you're on your way to bed. See if you can stay present and awake until you're not. Okay. (laughs) Sleep really well tonight, and we'll see you in the morning. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.